Pringle, this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty. We help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we'd like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this episode, we'll explore how customer loyalty needs are evolving in different markets. To help with this, I'm joined by two organisations who have looked into this from different sides of the world. So please, could I welcome Charlie Hills from Mando Connect in London. Hi, Charlie. Hello. Great to be here. Brilliant. And Adam Posner from For Love or Money in Australia. I keep getting that rod, Adam, which is why I had to take my time over that. But welcome. Yes. Yeah, so, hi, Ian. I'm actually, in the, my business is The Point of Loyalty, and the research is called For Love or Money. Brilliant. And yeah, you're welcome. in Melbourne. Thank you. I'm in Melbourne, yes. Brilliant. And, uh, and, and thanks for joining us tonight. So, as there are two studies here, what I'd like to do is, Adam, if you could go first and just start to introduce us to yourself and your study, then we'll do the same with Charlie, and then at the end we'll get back together and... And, and discuss any commonalities. So, Adam, do you want to talk about your study first? Yeah, thanks. That's a great plan. So, yeah, firstly, I'm an independent loyalty consultant uh, here here in Melbourne, Australia, and I help brands uh, make uh, more money from the loyalty and joyalty. You'll remember that word. Oh, we love the you loyalty, about joyalty and the and the joyalty of of uh, their existing customers. Uh, yeah, and I've been uh, doing this ongoing independent research study for the last uh, eleven years. In fact, eleven studies in Australia now and 16 studies, both Australia and New Zealand. So a long sort of tracking study now um, on Australian and New Zealand's attitude to loyalty and loyalty programs. And in 2023, For Love or Money has taken me to the wild oceans of so many different areas. I, uh, I, I can't, I, when you ask me what area should I pick, it was like asking which, which of your children is more beautiful than the other. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, yeah, so I think the one that's really hit a, a nerve and most probably opened up a lot of conversations in Australia is my new um, index, which is called the Loyalty Program Experience Index, SPVX. And what it is, is a um, is consumers or loyalty program members, uh, I guess, assessment of their experience with 68 loyalty programs across three dimensions. How simple is the program? And there's a lot of layers under simplicity. How personal is the program? And again, how a personal has layers like personal communications relevant and making them feel special. And how valuable is the program, which has dimensions around meaningful and desirable rewards and value. So SPV, and it's now been created as an index based on some weighting across the S and the P and the V. And then we scored, uh, as I said, 68 programs um, on this index out of a possible 100. And were, that's were really interesting. Programs were they Australia and New Zealand, or did you do did you do a study in Australia and a study in New Zealand? No, no. This year actually only did Australia only in. Okay. Um, the the loyal some of the loyalty programs are international because they're here they're, they're worldwide. Some hotel groups, some frequent flyer programs, and so on. But they're mostly Australian retailers uh, across a whole range of category: grocery, retail, entertainment, um, hotels, accommodation, frequent flyer. Uh, QSR, so quite a few verticals um, to get, you know, an index or a score. So lots of people like to compare themselves or brands like to compare themselves, um, but that's an unintended consequence because the insight here is how can you be better? How can you drive more simplicity, more personalized, you know, make it more personal and more valuable? And every program and their members, it's different. It's different category, different program structure. But really, that's opened up a whole conversation. So that's the number one area of this research that I spent a lot of uh, nights and weekends with my analyst and researcher working out the index and the weightings 
and scoring and creating an algorithm. So now I, I, it's going to be an ongoing index that I'll do every year. I also liked your tattoo index. Yeah, you found the tattoo. What's... <laughs> I love the tattoo question. Do you want to tell people about the tattoo question? Oh, Charlie, you don't need to get the tattoos out, by the way. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that, that's really a thing. Yeah, exactly. Don't show me the tattoo that you got, Charlie, of your um, of your Mando Connect on your arm. Yeah, so the tattoo question came out uh, five years ago. I saw, uh, you know, people putting tattoos of brands on their bodies and, you know, Harley Davidson and a few others. And I thought, geez, isn't that unbelievable? Isn't that cult loyalty when you ink your body with a, with a brand? And I just thought I'd put a question out there to consumers around. If you were given a, a life, and it's a loaded question, so I'm, I'm very aware from a research point of view that it's, it's not just a, a, an open question. It was loaded with, you know, if you, if you were to give a lifetime discount or ongoing benefits oh, right, from a okay. brand or, or a loyalty program, would you tattoo that brand on your body? So, yeah, I admit right up front that, you know, it's a bit loaded. And yet, same percentage, 12% in 2016 and 12% in 2023 said, yes, they would. And right. the funny thing of it is, oh, when you asked, the next question was, why, uh, which brands? And that's when it really gets really interesting. And what sort of mix of brands were they? Yeah, well, uh, the frequent flyer programs that came up, Ooh. the grocery programs came up, but then you've got Nike and you've got the sort of sporting brands, but then you've got alcohol brands. And I thought, oh, okay. People want a lifetime discount and they'll, they'll put a tattoo of an alcohol brand. Wow. On their it's body. a bit like so, um, there's actually there's a man in Great Britain who has the Tesco club card, his barcode tattooed on his arm, which he uh, he made the national press for. I don't know if you saw that a couple really? of months ago. Yeah. Um, and the argument was that it was just easier than actually, you know, taking his card out with him every time when he was shopping. So he didn't forget. But it was his actual club card, you know, not the logo. I was like, wow, that's really And really scannable? Is it, it Was it scannable? <laughs> yes. Apparently so. They sort of showed him going through the checkout. Um, I'm not sure how much of that was, you know, entirely true and entirely practical. But uh, yeah, quite famously tattooed yeah. the uh, the Tesco top. But I don't think even as you know the ultimate loyalty nerd, I don't think there is a program or a brand that I would tattoo on myself. Other than maybe you know Mando Connect. The <laughs> the problem with founders, isn't it? We get so passionate about our companies that we um, that we build that maybe maybe. But even that, I can't really imagine. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. Yeah, so it's, it's a more of an interesting little insight, I, I reckon, Ian. And then, Adam, did you also see some things about cost of living crisis? No, I didn't actually track that, but I had a new, a new question in there uh, around, um, you know, the impact on loyalty programs from the basis of economic uncertainty to understand if people are actually engaging in their programs more or less, or they're more loyal to a brand during economic uncertainty. So it's a new question, Ian. And uh, we did find what I call, uh, I call them double clickers, loyalty program double clickers. I think 42% of our uh, consumers said, yes, they will dive deeper into their loyalty programs, be more engaged um, to get more savings and benefits. So a loyalty program really does make a difference in certain categories, obviously, grocery and fuel and a few others, where the savings can be, you know, maximized. So absolutely, uh, it came clear and through that, Loyalty programs are playing their part in helping people save money um, and or, you know, get better benefits. Perfect. So we talked about a few quirky things, but what were the main findings of the, what are the main trends you're seeing over time? I think the one that I um, I go to for the trends is a question that I asked back in 2018 and, and again in 2023, which is, have loyalty programs improved across mm. six dimensions? 
And I looked at the six and I, you know, I just got to make sure I get them all uh, in my memory. But the, the six were things like, has the personalization improved? Has technology in terms of payments and, and integration and apps improved? Has, uh, has earn rate, we all know what earn rate is, has that improved? Um, we looked at simplicity again, has that improved? We looked at non-financial rewards, has, uh, programs offering non, has that improved? And then my famous one has surprise and delight, or as I call it, has joyalty improved? And um, so we ranked those and, you know, there's a great new story there for loyalty programs generally that there's a lot of good improvement in certain areas that we would expect. Simplicity has improved, but number one area, which was earn rate. So that's great. So people are beginning to earn their rewards a little bit better or quicker or more engaged in their programs and then simplicity. And I think um, if I get it right after that technology has improved as well. But the next question was more important, which was, um, and where did, should they improve in the future? You know, that's a guiding light for loyalty program members. What are the six areas that, you know, you need to improve your program in? And where do they need to improve in the future? Number one is, again, earn rate. People still want to earn their rewards quicker. Um, and I, I think that's expected. But where should they improve in the future? Wait for it, Ian. Is surprise and delight. More joyalty yeah. is what members want. Um, from their programs. And then third was non-financial rewards. So those top three, if nice. any loyalty program manager could work on those, that's what members are expecting to be improved and you know with ongoing program development. And Charlie, so from your I other think, and Charlie, from your other study on what the UK people are looking for from loyalty, are you seeing I know we're not going to talk about that today, but are you seeing similar things on those? Do those ring true with you as well? Yeah, I think there are really good um, top three, actually, particularly what we're seeing um, programs do in light of a cost of living crisis, in light of, you know, increasing costs on their own bottom line. So what we're seeing from um, consumers in the British market in our what the Brits want from loyalty um, studies is value at the moment. And every metric um, that we're seeing across earn rate, the value of the rewards, the quantity of the rewards is, is really kind of rocketing up in terms of how important that is to people in terms of their engagement with their program. At the same time, we are seeing an increase in engagement in loyalty programs. We'd forecast that in at the beginning. We'd we'd done the same sort of predictive line of questioning as Adam, actually. You know, we've been looking at it now since 2018. And people told us that in a cost of living crisis, their membership of loyalty programs would increase, their usage would increase, their appeal would increase. And we've very much seen that um, in the data. The challenge, I think, for loyalty program marketers is that at the same time, we're seeing significant increases in cost and significant increases in pressure on businesses. So, you know, Ian, you'll be very aware, and Adam, I'm sure the news is, um, has crossed the oceans, but, you know, the big programs in the UK are all moving to variable pricing. So, you know, we've just seen Tesco's um, devalue their partner rewards by three multiplier to two multiplier. That kicks in next week. Uh, we've seen Boots, you know, one of the longest standing, highest earn rate programs probably anywhere in the world, but definitely in the British market go from four points um, for the pound down to three and then introduce variable pricing in a 10% discount on own brand for members. So we've got a really interesting tension at the minute here between a population who wants more from their loyalty programs, but loyalty programs facing real pressures themselves, I think, to give them that value um, and, you know, unlocking interesting new ways um, to give them that value. So I think surprise well, and, and delight And to fund something... that value too. Well, exactly. I think surprise <laughs> yeah. and delight is something we 
you're going to see a lot more of because it enables a program to control its costs to cap yep. the amount it puts out there um, rather than those higher earn rates so you know definitely more a focus on number two um, than number one in that list um, and obviously given what we do at Mandate Connect we're always looking at partner rewards and the extra value that the programs can unlock for their members through partnerships, because inevitably, if the program is contributing to the cost of the reward and the partner is as well, you can inevitably give your members so much more value than through the um, the things that you fund yourself. So we're seeing a big increase in focus in, in that area as well. And some some interesting developments in the commercial models behind those partnerships um, in our market to give more value to the consumer and, you know, um, and leverage the power of two brands rather than one and, and do you guys both include questions on member only discounts so basically member pricing up front so where they're using their loyalty card to get a disc to get a discount when they pay rather than later do you have both have a question on that that you're tracking because I, I can't remember seeing it so this year in 2023 i didn't do a specific what i say structural uh, or financial offerings uh, to a program in but in 2022 i did a special edition on the six currencies of collection that members care about. And there were 15 financial benefits that I ranked and rated across the financial, of which, the, of which you know, discount, uh, member-only pricing, points for purchase, uh, cash back, any sort of financially-based structure that programs put into, you know, build out. And, and those were ranked, you know, the number one actually was discount, which was not surprising. But then you're to your point, Ian, not this year, but I've ranked and I'll do next year again, all those 15 financial benefits and see how they rank uh, uh, next year. So um, that's, yeah, that's just what I didn't do this year was was the specifics of currency uh, of collection around financials. And Charlie, yeah. did you include one? We looked at it. So we do um, a bit like Adam, we alternate our studies. So we do a, a year on loyalty, a year on promotions, a year on loyalty, a year on promotions in the British market in our Understanding What Brits Want study. So when we looked at the Understanding What Brits Want in 2022, um, we saw a hierarchy for 60% of Brits wanted discounts and offers. 28% uh, partner rewards, 23% product services, experiences and privileges, 12% first to know, 8% better services, and then some kind of experience-based rewards at the end. So we saw a high propensity to engage in discounts and offers. We then asked about actually what keeps you engaging. And actually it turned out to be those rewards and benefits right at the top that were kept changing. And um, people liked that, that transitory nature, that new news, that kind of came out as number as top so what we're actually going to introduce um in next year's study when we look at uh, the british loyalty market much like adam is actually is a bit more granularity to that to understand exactly what types of financial and emotional benefits people really want but also critically what they're using um, in 2023 we actually we were looking at promotions which is obviously very closely related to, to loyalty program engagement but on a much sort of shorter time scale and we actually saw that it was um 60 percent who really wanted money that was their top one be that points or actual kind of money and cash back from programs 50% were then after discounts and offers 45% then wanted free products and services and 22% actually wanted some excitement some experience and a chance to kind of win prizes so again a similar sort of hierarchy so I'm really looking forward to seeing what impact it has had um, I think it would be great actually to talk to Tesco's and to talk to Boots and to talk to Nectar and actually see what behavioural trends they're actually seeing now that they're making those big switches because it's a big jump to, to member only pricing from a sort of points-led program 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's a big subject. I, and it's one, one I'd like to cover off in, in, in the podcast in more detail in, in, at another time. Um, now, Adam, can you also talk about, in your study, you did a really interesting thing about looking at interesting new technology as well. Yeah, so that was a whole section that I thought deserved a bit of attention this year, Ian. Um, just to get, again, I would sort of benchmark a lay of the land around. First of all, I started with understanding. Do actually, yeah. do people even <laughs> even know what or understand what the, the six areas that I looked at were? Um, you know, do they know what blockchain is? Do they know what uh, NFTs are, digital currencies? Uh, cryptocurrency. So I've got a level of understanding first, which is pretty low uh, across the board, across the six areas of cryptocurrency. You know, even the metaverse, NFTs, blockchain, as I said, digital collectibles, Web 3.0, sort of those terms. And I try to understand, uh, see, do people even understand what they were? And the, the level of understanding is r- relatively low. Um, cryptocurrency had the highest, um, by, by definition, um, of understanding. But I took a bit further and I asked them, would they be interested in earning a uh, a digital currency or an NFT or crypto in their program in their program, and or redeeming their rewards or benefits or points for cryptocurrency? So earn and redeem, and it's it's still it's sort of a benchmark ten to twenty percent said yes, I am interested. So it's still lowish uh, to earn and redeem those currencies. But it's, when you look at the age groups and the demographics, that's when it significantly changes. So, you know, everybody says, oh, I'm not interested. And then I look at them and, and, and they may be not in that right demographic or um, generation. But the younger generation, men actually very significantly uh, over overemphasize their interest and their desire to earn and redeem on the cryptos uh, and the, the digital currency. So very interesting just to get a benchmark. But the other area that I thought was really interesting is for those brands that are very into that uh, that new way of engaging their members is uh, I developed what they call the six six ways for engaging your your members in a in a proposition around um, this and quite quite fascinating to see that they're all what we do in loyalty programs in the normal in normal land shall we say so it's everything from exclusivity community but there's a trading up and down. So, you know, you're, you, you buy, you're getting a currency that moves mm. uh, in value. And there was a lot of appeal to that. So, uh, but uh, ownership. So these five, four fundamentals we do in loyalty programs anyway, but it's at a whole different layer of engagement. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and also, it's, it, you, as we've said many times in this podcast, your, your program should be designed for a specific purpose. And if that specific purpose is for a specific audience, then why not, right? Um, yeah. You know. Um, and, and finally, Adam, I'd like to talk about the study also included some fascinating insight into people's concerns over data privacy. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's happening around your side of the world, but we've had some huge data breaches here in Australia across very, very trusted corporate uh, corporate um, uh, corporations. And, and, and there's just been a, a huge a downstream impact on, I guess, nervousness with your data, uh, the value exchange, who's got it. Uh, who's using it? Where's it going? What control do I have over it? You know, do you keep it? Do you do you get rid of it? And we looked at six key areas around this context, which was exactly as I've said, the six areas of concern, which is who are you concerned about who has your data? Are you concerned about how secure it is? In other words, the systems. Are you secure about what what the brand is doing to protect it? Are you concerned about how loyalty programs are actually going to use it? Are you concerned for how long they hold the data, the time? 
and and why? why? What's the reason? Are you concerned about why they're asking you for that, that piece of data? So those six concerns were what we measured. And quite frankly, the results were all across, they were, the, were very much the same across. They're concerned about all six. Wow. So my call out to loyalty program uh, managers and members is, you know, be, be transparent, be visible and explain the six areas of concern. Who, security, protection, use, time and why. And, and you know, that will help build trust, keep the value exchange and um, yes, the data will be will be handed over. We see the same thing in, in Britain, actually. Not as extreme as in some of the other European markets. I'm told that in Germany, it's kind of right at top of the agenda, whereas for the British population, it comes in at sort of fourth key thing they want from loyalty programmes. But we've got just over a third of the population. You know, what keeps you loving and using your programme, saying that good privacy and ensuring that the data is secure is ah. absolutely critical. So it's, it's a really interesting thing. But actually, our market, it's not top in Britain actually what I get from the program is still the kind of primary driver of engagement and I think that in a cost of living crisis as our programs become more and more important to our consumers and they become more and more part of the household budget management and um, I think actually we're probably going to see data security drop slightly again in preference for the value that I get from the program and the experience of it um, but we'll see when we, we track it next year. I think it's a very interesting point Charlie because one of the questions that we asked was, you know, are you prepared to still hand over your data for the for in exchange for the benefits and rewards? So yeah. we we you know we we contextualized the question one of the questions, not the one I just went through, around you know how confident or concerned are you in handing over your data, knowing that you're going to get some value exchange from the the loyalty program? Yeah. And there, there's there's still a you know 22 percent were confident with the, the brand looking after their data, knowing that they're still getting a great value exchange. And, and it also varied by age group, which is interesting, but of course, it is, yeah. But yeah. actually, the, the youngsters was more concerned. <laughs> from what I well, see. yeah, you know, you've got to dig deeper with your, your data. You know, when we talk generalizations, like any research, you know, uh, it just gives us a guiding light. But if you dig a bit deeper and you start seeing certain segments of the market, you know, generations and genders, and, and depends on your brand and the business and how, uh, what your database looks like. But it just opens up your thinking a bit more that it's not, not one size fits all, as we as we all know. No, exactly. Well, congratulations on a great piece of work. I really enjoyed it. And we'll, we'll come back at the end to see where people can get hold of it as well. So, um, Charlie, do you want to talk us through you. your study? Uh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I'm Charlie Hills. Hello, everybody. I'm the Managing Director and Head of Strategy of Mandate Connect. We're part of the WPP group and, and we specialise in loyalty and brand partnerships. So we help brands and programmes leverage the power of brand partnerships to get results that, that really affect their programme. And as part of that, it's really important to us to understand what populations really want from loyalty programmes. So very much like Adam's study, we're trying to get under the skin of loyalty to understand the insights that mean that programmes can do better and to help loyalty marketers think better. So We've been publishing studies on the British market now since 2018. So the series that we were talking about, understanding what the British want from loyalty programmes and then promotions in alternative years. And then 2023 was a really interesting um, marker for us. We're six years old this year and we were thinking about, you know, where do we go next? How do we learn more? And actually what we really thought is 
given what's happening in the markets, given what's happening across the planet, given what's happening um, across populations and society, we thought it, one of the really interesting areas would be was to look out of our own market. So, you know, we take pride in really understanding what British people want from loyalty programmes. But as marketeers, we wanted to look out to other markets and get best practice from other markets and share that um, with everybody to help us all kind of think and create loyalty programmes better. So we worked very closely with YouGov, our research partner and what we did um, was we commissioned studies with consumers so these are real people statistically robust samples um, across 24 European markets to look at what loyalty program membership looks like in those markets to look at how appealing people find loyalty programs in those markets and then critically to look at what impact loyalty programs have in those markets both on emotional metrics I am loyal I will recommend um, and also transactional metrics metrics you know I will spend more so it was a really interesting study it's as far as I'm aware and as I'm told it's the first of its kind that's taken a sort of robust and um, pan-european view and I think we uncovered some really interesting insights in the data and then we stepped back and we looked at the data and we said actually the data is really interesting and we I encourage everyone to read it and to think about actually you know what's happening in your market versus other markets which are the stellar markets which are the weaker markets and to really learn from that and what that prompted then was actually an ambition to form a community around the research so I know the British market very well and I represented the kind of British view in the paper but then we brought in relevant experts from each you know from seven key markets to then say well actually what's the context on this research what does it mean in your market and what can others learn from it and my particular favorite bit of the research is all the case studies that we then brought to life in the research so we did a deep dive on three big programs so very me rewards from Vodafone sort of a, the, the winner at last year's international loyalty awards of the best program in western Europe and then two pan-european programs who both take a very different approach to loyalty marketing across those 20 markets so Marriott Bonvoy you know one of the world's biggest loyalty programs in one of the most established travel sectors you know in the in the travel sector looking at how they tailor their approach across those 24 markets I and mean, then actually they take a single program approach and then they tailor it to each of the markets versus Samsung members a slightly more disruptive um, approach where actually they change the nature of the program the core proposition stays the same in each of those markets but they actually tailor the rewards the benefits the cons and the mechanic of the program according to what local markets need so we did three deep dive case studies and then a whole series we were asked each expert to sort of provide three interesting case studies from their market that they thought were exemplars in their market of a particular characteristic or a particular insight from their market so that's what we did we learned absolutely bucket loads um, about loyalty across those markets um, and people always love the headline stats so for, for listeners today across those markets we've got 61.3% um, of the adult population and members of at least one program that peaks in Norway at 85.7% and it's at the lowest in Romania at 33.3% we then looked at lots of appeal um, metrics but interestingly we found that 56% think that loyalty programs are a great way to reward their customers. Peaks in Great Britain at 70%. I was thrilled about that. Lowest in um, Denmark at 29%. And actually, one of the things we found is the Danish market's really interesting. The, uh, the Scandinavian region is 
absolutely huge on loyalty, you know, really leading the way. But actually, we're seeing a lot of scepticism in the Danish market about how good they think the executions are. So it's a really fascinating market of near you know, high membership, but low, um, low appeal. Um, I, and think that's found, what, I think you know, that's what struck me most about your study is that is that I think Americans often view Europe as being a homogeneous mass, but your your research shows the massive variety. I mean, that variety of 31% in Turkey to 86% in Norway is just enormously different. I think it really shows that you just can't look at it as one region. And I think when we started to yeah. dig into why with the experts, it's the same things that actually you'll see even even across Australia you know even we see within a single market is you've got cultural variation you've got retail structure you've got business structure variation you've got programs doing very different things at very different levels of maturity you've got some markets that have had really big programs for 25 years you've got some markets that you know the first program only launched five years ago so we're seeing real variation across those markets and what that led us to do is to create the loyalty gain a little bit like your index Adam so what we did was we created an algorithm to look at and weight membership appeal and impact across all of those markets and then we hierarchy the 24 markets to see you know who can we learn from and who can we not and at the top you know we see Ireland Poland and Great Britain with high membership high appeal and high impact so really stellar markets with some really exceptional case studies of programs you know really getting it right for their audience there's then a kind of chunk in the middle where we're seeing lower membership but fairly high appeal and, and lower impact so what can those markets learn from the stellar markets what can they do differently and then a chunk of markets at the bottom for entirely different reasons you know the Netherlands Leon um, from Emma Kina which is an EPAM company was our Netherlands expert within the paper and he was horrified you know high membership but very low appeal and very low impact which is a real surprise you know for the Dutch market really deal savvy really kind of shopper retail centric market Market, but loyalty programs not quite getting it right in that market. Turkey again, another low one with very low membership, um, but very high appeal and very high impact. And then you know just to break the mold again, Denmark very high membership but very low appeal and very low impact. Totally different to Norway, Sweden, and Finland. Who, if you look at it on a map and you think about culture, could potentially be quite similar but actually dramatically different. So yeah, I think that was my favourite thing in the study, and I really feel like we've just opened the first chapter. You know, there's so much to learn here from the other markets and from the other case studies about what we can all do better so yeah it was a great study because being a loyalty geek i love numbers as well so i had a i had to go with your numbers yeah <laughs> if you don't don't mind so um you know obviously loyalty roi is benefit over cost we all know that and if you and with your numbers you could actually play with this so if cost is turnover times take up which you can get from your research and then if we take a if we take a just a, an assumed award rate of say one percent, which is pretty pretty standard for an an award rate across loyalty, and then if we take the benefit as increase in spend, we can get that from your research about saying how many people want to increase spend, which was one of your appeal pieces. Um, and then if we take just an assumed margin of say twenty percent, assumed gross margin of say twenty percent, if you run those numbers, then the difficult markets jump right out, which are you said it yourself, the Netherlands, you'd need a 26% change of behavior in the Netherlands to get a positive ROI from that formula. That's tough. That's making, that's making them buy one more, one more shop in four to come to you just to make that, that, and this is before the cost of running the program. So Netherlands must be a tough market because as you said, you've got high take up and skeptical customers, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's fascinating, um, I think. And when you start to apply, that's when it gets really interesting. So it's what can I learn from? But one of the biggest bits of positive feedback we've had on the um, the study is the help with business cases. Because as Adam said, every brand is different. Every sector is different. Every segment is different. Um, but actually to have those benchmarks and to go, well, actually, what might my impact on spend be? What might my impact on recommendation be? What might my impact on emotional connection be? Is a really helpful starting point, I think, when programmes are starting to build um, out their strategies for pan-European. Zsuzsa um, Ketchmar from Antavo um, provided the expert commentary on the Nordic market, actually. They're doing a lot... Um, in those markets in, in that region. And actually that was a really interesting because whilst it's a really high engagement market and a really high appeal region, actually one of the big challenges that loyalty program marketers face there is that the standards are really high. You know, those programs have been around for a long time. There's a huge amount of innovation, a huge amount of investment in the technical delivery of the, the, the loyalty program as well as the rewards. So actually the entry point for a new program, you, you, you've got to come in like blazing. You've got to come in at the top of your game you know there's none of this launch with an MVP and pilot it for six months and then launch it you've got to come in strong and I think that was really interesting as well you know is it harder in the high performance markets to, to enter that market because everybody else is doing such an interesting job um, we saw Little Plus was a, a case study used throughout um, the white paper um, winner of loads of awards and a really fantastic you know program a real positive disruptor to the grocery space you know no card no points um, it's all about gamification. It's all about rewards and coupons and thresholds and, you know, a really strong partner offer. And I think that's a really good example of a program that started strong, but, you know, positively disrupted an entire sector, certainly in the British market. But going across Europe is, is doing the same thing. And there's loads of case studies like that in the paper. No, fantastic. And so and, and just to sum up, Adam, where, where can people get hold of your, your report if you wanted to? Yeah, um, thanks, Ian. My report's available at my, my website, which is thepointofloyalty.com.au. Um, or I just uh, on LinkedIn, you can link through from all my blogs and articles. But yeah, it's at, on my website. And we'll put, we'll <laughs> put a link on there. We'll put a link on LinkedIn yep. after this as well. And Charlie, where can people get hold of your report? Um, it's actually, it's freely available all over the place because we launched it at the Loyalty Summit in Zurich. So I'm hoping that loyalty marketers everywhere have got a copy of it and are sharing it amongst themselves. Um, but for those well of them that haven't come across it yet, uh, it's available on our website, which is www.mando-connect.co.uk. Um, as are all the British studies, um, if anyone's interested in that. And you can obviously access it through LinkedIn, through Charlie Hills or Mando Connect on LinkedIn as well. Um, and we, you know, we share it freely. We're just about to start looking um, at the data by demographic as well. So by gender and by age to see what other insights we can unlock as well as the kind of the macro view across the markets. And one of the things I'm really passionate about doing as well is to get under the skin of the markets that we haven't covered. You know, we've only covered seven in the white paper otherwise we'd be printing something you know the size of the old-fashioned yellow pages but we're really looking to kind of expand that understanding the markets and bring more of those case studies um to life because it's uh it's fascinating yeah no exactly yeah i find your study really fascinating charlie and amazing that you know you've taken it right across these different uh regions and things but i'm interested to know how did you choose you know three brands or you know what made you choose because there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of loyalty programs in each country but you know what were your criteria for choosing like in germany 
Payback, Douglas and, and, and Little or in, you know, what made you choose the, the programs? That's a great question, actually. And people have asked me, you know, what made me choose those markets as well? And I think you know, it's our first European study. So initially we reached out to trusted sources uh, through the CLMP community, through our networks as sort of loyalty consultants, through our clients um, and obviously through the WPP network. And then also there's that data view, I think, of you know, which are the interesting markets that actually we want to see you know who's at the top who's at the bottom and where are some interesting ones in the middle so that was our initial um, selection criteria and then in terms of the programs that we show as you say we're spoilt for choice so what we asked um, each of our experts to do was to choose three programs that they thought would be really interesting and that were exemplars for a particular reason that was true to their market so you know for example I don't think it would be true to do a study in Germany without including payback because obviously yeah. it's you know it's such an iconic program it's also 30 million members you know it's huge um, and it really set the bar for you know that that particular kind of program probably across Europe so they were a blend of the biggest um, and the sort of the most impressive but then actually programs that were trying to do interesting things or that would inspire people within the service so one of my favorite is Go Pass um, from the Czech Republic um, a really interesting program in the leisure center you know that started off in ski resorts actually rewarding people for engaging and now has all sorts of cool challenges in it so there's that that blend of the biggest and the most famous but also the most interesting was the criteria but in all honesty i think we could have done a paper just on case studies yes yeah there's yeah, so yeah. many yeah. no no exactly well it just goes to say thank you for our panelists today so thank you very much charlie hills thank you for joining us charlie You're very welcome it's a pleasure as always and thank you very much adam and thank you for getting up so early in the morning to take part in this conversation so really uh, appreciate it's it. great and uh, thanks ian and hopefully next year back again charlie and uh, i'll be celebrating 12 12 studies you'll be celebrating seven and we'll keep educating and inspiring uh, um, the community and hey ian just a shout out to you uh, for you to do that maths on the on the on Charlie's study just in 10 seconds or less I thought wow you blew me away with creating your little algorithm we've been talking online. about that so well for done, a while yeah, I'm Charlie, saw yeah. Her, Charlie saw her in an airplane scribbling things desperately down from her, from okay. her study so well, I love the maths away. I love the maths you blew me away with your, your you blew me away with your 10 second algorithm <laughs> well done Ian <laughs> and so if you like this podcast please like share or comment on, the, on LinkedIn using the hashtag the law to podcast and we look forward to your company again soon thank you for listening and goodbye